G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Here we have part three of our interview with Tony Durkin. There is a little bit of an explanation at the start that tells you what this episode is about, but essentially it's about the 2000 Broncos, the early 90s, 2000 Broncos. Very, very good chat with Tony Durkin. If you haven't listened to part one and part two, go back and have a listen to them. Part one is a history lesson on Queensland Rugby League. I learned so much from it, the early, early days about Wayne Bennett and whatnot. Part two is the Super League War, which was my favourite chat of all. Then part three here, we talk about the Brisbane Broncos in the 2000s and the late 90s. The Broncos played with eight forwards. They had a big forward pack and they had two forwards on the wing in Lottie Takiri and, and Wendell Saylor, who both actually scored tries in, in that grand final. And uh, they were just a power team, the Bronx back then. And um, it, was a, it was a grinding old affair, but it was a premiership. And Craig Bellamy, who was the assistant uh, coach to Wayne Bennett back then, had a lot to do with that win. He was uh, very influential, in fact. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today I bring you part three of a cracking interview with Tony Dirk. And this one, it's a little insight into the Brisbane Broncos, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I thoroughly enjoyed. We kick off in the year 2000 where Tony Durkin, he's been made the media manager of the Brisbane Broncos. So he is inside the walls through this amazing time. Six years, they win two premierships. The year 2000, an unbelievable team. And Tony, he talks us through some of the forwards in this team. Uh, unbelievable, you know, Gordon Tallis. Shane Webke, you've got Brad Thorne, you've got Tony Carroll, just some all-time forwards. He takes us through how tough they all were. Kevin Campion as well, an amazing chat there. He also touches on Darren Lockyer, the man behind the scenes, uh, a guy that I believe should be an immortal of our game, as does Tony. Talks about the highs of Darren Lockyer and some of the lows, obviously being the media manager. The day that Darren Lockyer stood up on stage in 2004 and told a pretty crude joke, pretty disgusting joke, a big mistake in Darren Lockyer's career. Tony had to deal with a lot of that. That story is very, very interesting. Tony, he was also part of the Immortals selection. He was part of the panel that voted for Andrew Johns to become an immortal and a couple of other guys. So a really interesting take there. He talks us through that day, how it all went down, improvements that he thinks can be made to the selection process, and guys that haven't been made an immortal yet that he believes should be. Tony's obviously been a big part of Queensland Rugby League, as has a guy that he's worked with for a long time, Wayne Bennett. Now, their relationship, at all it has always been very strained, but Tony's been there to see a lot of it. Today, he talks us through Wayne Bennett, his reaction to Justin Hodges, a young Hodjo signing with the Sydney Roosters. You will remember, 2001, he dropped him from the team completely. He also touches on 2006 when they went on to win the Premiership, Shane Webke's last game. And for me, and I think Tony agrees the 10 or 12 weeks of coaching from Wayne Bennett at the end of this season it is some of the best coaching we will ever see in rugby league moving guys around to different positions covering other positions he essentially went with a halfback that he pulled out of Queensland Cup during the year Shane Perry an amazing story there and Tony he gives a rare insight 
to an extremely proud club that isn't where it should be right now. And Tony, at the end of this podcast, also gives his views on the Brisbane Broncos now and our modern game, the rules and everything. This is a cracking chat. If you haven't listened to part one and part two, I highly advise you go back and have a listen to those over the last few weeks. A rare insight into the history of Queensland Rugby League. And today, you get a real behind-the-scenes view of the Brisbane Broncos during the 2000s. Let's kick it off. Made the Broncos win in 98, and then 1999, you get headhunted by the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, what was your role there? I was communications manager, um, kind of media manager and covering a few other things. And um, it was probably about time. I'd been at, at Rugby League Week for, for 20 years. Um, the last year I was there, I was appointed national uh, editor, and, and I didn't want to move uh, from Brisbane to Sydney. Uh, only because I did, not that I didn't like Sydney, but the cost of moving at that stage of of my life, and um, you know we were well and truly settled in Brisbane, and so uh, I was able to do that, and I had to travel a lot, and that got to me in the end. And when the job offer came, I went, "Yep, I'll do that," and it was that was great fun. I had seven years there, and as I as I tell everybody, I won a comp in my first year, and I won a comp in my last year, and haven't won one since. Mate, tell me about that 2000 Premiership, uh, obviously taking on the Sydney Roosters, a, a big rivalry there. Uh, tell me about that grand final. It was a really tough grand final. That one, the Roosters were were an outstanding team and a, and, and, and a real team. There was, you know, they had Freddie Fittler was at, at his best back then, but uh, they didn't, they weren't star-studded. The Broncos were. The Broncos had, you know, Alfie and Kevy and, uh, all those guys. It was Kev- no Kevy. No, Alfie wasn't there. That's right. Alfie had finished up, hadn't he, early in that year? Yeah. Or early in nineteen ninety nine. Kevy was the captain. Uh, but it was a it was a um, not not the not the free flowing game that I think a lot of people thought the Broncos might might play. But the Broncos played with eight forwards. They had a big forward pack, and they had two forwards on the wing in Lottie Takiri and and Wendell Saylor, who both actually scored tries in in that grand final. And uh, they were just a power team, the Bronx back then, and um, it was a it was a grinding old affair, but it was a premiership. And Craig Bellamy, who was the assistant uh, coach to Wayne Bennett back then, had a lot to do with that win. He was uh, very influential, in fact. Mate, you mentioned having eight forwards. You also had uh, Tony Carroll in the centres, from memory. Yeah, yeah, tons of Tony Carroll. Couldn't he tackle? Wow. He was. Uh, I'd like to have him beside Anthony Milford in the Broncos side at the moment. He'd. Uh, He'd uh, make a few uh, players think twice about running t- towards Anthony Milford. Yeah, he was a dynamo, Tony Carroll, and uh, he was a tough man. He was he was outstanding in the uh, in the '98 Grand Final as well, Tony Carroll. Just a tough hombre. He could tackle. Mate, are uh, you Clive Churchill medalist that day? Darren Lockyer, um, incredibly gifted footballer, still playing fullback at this point. What's your greatest memory uh, of Darren Lockyer? Well, my first, I'll tell you my first memory of Darren Lockyer was um, when I was at the Broncos. Um, when I wasn't working at the Broncos, that's right. But my son was son, son was playing in 1995 and I'd uh, I'd go out to cover the training. So I'd get there a bit early to watch the reserve grade side train because my son was there. And um, one day I went out there and I see this kid just kicking in a Broncos training shirt, kicking footballs between the, the goalposts, just, from about 30 metres out, kick him along the ground into the goal mouth. 
And uh, I thought, what's it? How come this kid's not at school? What's he, what's he doing here? And it was Darren Locker. And uh, that was my first viewing of, of Darren Locker. He played under 18s that year, and they played the they used to play the curtain raiser to the to the reserve to the reserve grade side in um, in some games. And I remember one day, I think he scored something like 30 points in the game. He was just amazing. And um, his best performance, I can't recall his best performance, but he was the he was the consummate professional, Darren Locker. He worked hard. He built himself up from this tiny little kid into a really, really strong uh, man whose defence was was as good as his attack, really. And he was a bit like Joey Johns. There was not too many uh, bows to his arrow that uh, that a rugby league player shouldn't need. He could kick. He could go, even though he didn't enjoy goal kicking, he was a, a terrific goal kicker. He was a couple of shots ahead of everyone else on the field as well. He was, yeah, he was a terrific player. Mate, uh, Darren Locker, an incredible player with so many highs in his career. There is one, probably one low moment I want to ask you about with Lockie, and I imagine being the media manager up at the Brisbane Broncos, it would have been one hell of a day for you. Uh, the brain explosion that Lockie had with a joke he told one day, I believe it was a season launch. Do you remember that moment? It wasn't a, senior, a season launch. It was a, it was some kind of a, um, a prestigious luncheon. It was, I, I, in fact... From memory, I think I was sitting, and I'm not dropping names here, but I think I was sitting at the same table as Norm Proven and Arthur Summons sitting between. I've got a photograph here in my office of me sitting between those two greats, uh, the gladiators, and Lockie was on stage, and someone had told him the joke earlier in the day, and for some unknown reason, joke, it was disgraceful, he, he blurted it out at this lunch. He was on the, he's on the stage with about three or four other people being interviewed and he told this joke and uh, you can imagine it went down like a like a lead balloon it was uh, yeah it was a learning experience for him and um, you know we've, we all make we all make mistakes as my my good mate Bobby McCarthy said to me Durko we all make mistakes that's why they put rubbers on the end of pencils <laughs> mate you, you must have had to have made some phone calls that day yeah well just deflect it just deflect the phone calls and and no, he was good. He he understood. He understood. You know, when he'd said it, he understood it was the it was the wrong place, the wrong time. Uh, you know, just the wrong thing to say. And I got him, we got together straight afterwards and went outside and got the media out there and he apologised. And you know, thankfully that was the end of it. Mate, before we move on from this 2000 side, uh, I'm just having a look at the back row, and this might be the toughest back row of all time. Talis, Thorne, Kevin Campion. Some tough hombres there. None of them care what they look like. <laughs> Kevin Campion. Kevin Campion, I reckon. Um, any doctor would say to Kevin Campion, mate, I can't put any more stitches in your face because it's full of them. He was, a, he was tough, Kevin Campion. He could fight like a thrash machine too, and... And Big Brad Thorne, um, who actually, he, he lived with, Brad Thorne lived with my son, actually. They lived in the same house, and we got to know Thorny very, very well. He's a beautiful big man, pretty tough, but soft as butter, really. And I'm pleased to see he's doing so well with the, with the yeah, Queensland Reds this year. And, uh, and Gordon Tallis, well, Gordon, no reverse gear in Gordon. He just went forward all the time, and um, he was a warrior, mate, and... So much passion for the game and so much passion for for the Broncos, uh, a, a team that he idolised as a kid and actually sat out a season uh, because he wanted to play for the Broncos and uh, Super League didn't come off in 1995, so he sat out the entire season rather than 
rather than, uh, than go back and play for St George. So whether that was stupidity uh, or not, I'm not sure, but um, it showed the passion that he had for uh, for the game and for his beliefs. He, yeah, he was a tough man, Gordon. Still is a tough man, yeah. Still is, yeah. Mate, the, the relationship between Gordon Tallis and Wayne Bennett, um, it's been hit and miss over the years, of course. What was it like in these early days when, you know, he, he, they were winning premierships and they, they were doing so well? Oh, no, they were good mates. And I'm not quite sure the breakdown came uh, with um, with Gordon and, and, and Wayne, but my memory of them when I was there was that they were they were always very, very close. And, and Wayne was... There were very few of the players that, that didn't get on with Wayne and, and vice versa. I mean, for all his shortcomings, Wayne, just a wonderful rugby league coach and and a manager of... of people, particularly his own people, the ones that he loved and, uh, you know, they came first. The time Wayne and I had a blue, it would have been about a player and I would have wanted them to do something and he would have said they'll they'll do what they want to do, that type of stuff. Um, so I'm not quite sure what happened uh, between Wayne and uh, Wayne and Gordy, but and whether they're good mates at the moment, I'm not sure that they are actually. Mate, obviously you, you yourself, you met Wayne Bennett 12 years ago. It wasn't a great response. Uh, now that you're working at the Brisbane Broncos... No, more than 12. That was back in 1980. Oh, it was back in 80, right. Okay. Yeah, geez, even longer well, ago. So 20 years later. back in 1980. 20 years later. Yeah. So yeah, how- we had... Um, we had... Um, yeah, look, uh, the reason I left the Broncos was because our, our relationship had broken down a little. Um, you know, there, there was... The communication level wasn't there, and and I got the feeling that he probably didn't—I wouldn't say didn't trust me, but thought I was probably giving away a bit too much information to the media, which was my job. Which he, of course, wanted to keep most things under under wraps. But it was—it was a—it was, was a good relationship, and you know, we we get—I don't know whether we get on okay at the moment. I haven't spoken to him for a long, long time, but nothing can take away from his record as a as a rugby league coach and. The way he's going at the moment, he might have another premiership on his table at the end of the year. Who knows? Quite possibly. And, mate, obviously, for your, you know, seven-odd years that you were there, uh, you win two premierships. Did you feel like this was a club that could have won more premierships between 2000 and 2006? Like, you always had a top-shelf side during that period? Uh, yes, I, I suppose so. Um, they, they didn't miss the finals at any stage during those seven seasons. And, you know, they always had talent. I think the biggest problem, and it's the problem they got at the moment, is that they didn't have a halfback. You know, from the time that from the time that Alan Langer finished at the Broncos, well, Kevy took over the next year as a halfback in 2000, and he was really a five-eight. And virtually from then on, uh, they, you know, they couldn't settle on a on a permanent half-five-eight combination because they'd been so well served by Alf and Kevy right from the right from the word go, virtually, or Alf and. And Wally in the in the in the early years, and then Alfred Kebby all the way through to to nineteen ninety nine. Um, you know, Brett Seymour was a was a wonderful talent, and uh, you know he his discipline let him down. Uh, Sean Berrigan played a lot of halfback, but probably wasn't a halfback. Nineteen in two thousand six when they won the when they won the premiership, a guy called Shane Perry mm. was the halfback. Now they plucked him out of Redcliffe. He played for Canterbury and West in Sydney and. Hadn't done a real lot, not being. I don't want to be disrespectful to Shane, uh, but he carried the can in 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 uh, in 2006 and did a great job. It was a terrific foil for 
for Darren Lockyer, but certainly was no was no gun, was no star. And, well, mate, it's funny. Was the, I, I was talking to Scott Hill the other day, who, of course, he was playing for that uh, that Melbourne side that night, and he he couldn't even r- remember what the halfback's name was. Well, that was typical. That was typical of Shane Perry. Yeah. He he just he just did his job. I reckon that that was the issue through that period that I was there, the seven years that they, they really didn't have a half five eight situation. Down. Another relationship I want to ask you about, and it was obviously during the period you were there, it went up and down and it finished on a high, but there was some rough stages there. The relationship between Justin Hodges and Wayne Bennett, obviously Wayne wasn't overly happy when Hodges made his way down to the Sydney Roosters. Uh, can you explain that situation to us? Happy? He was far from happy. <laughs> he dumped him straight away, the young fellow. Well, I suppose I can see Wayne's point of view. We've developed this. We've brought him through from a schoolboy. We've Brought him down from, from Cairns. We've enrolled him in a school in Brisbane. We've paid all his expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, as soon as, he, as soon as he makes his debut in the first grade and starts to look like a gun, some other club that's put no effort into him whatsoever snaps him up. You know, that's a selfish way of looking at it, I suppose, but it's a pragmatic way of looking at it. Um, but that's, that's life, isn't it? I mean, that, that happens all the time now. And, that's happening more and more to the Broncos. Imagine how they felt last. Imagine how Wayne would have felt last year if they'd been the Broncos and they lost David for feeder. Yeah. All the time and money they'd spent in developing him. But he, but um, Wayne and, and, and Hodjo get on. I think now. Well, they certainly did in, in the latter stages when he came back to the club. They were they were as close as any two people could get. Great a great amount of respect. But one interesting sidelight to that story was that. A, a journey called uh, Steve Ricketts, who was the league writer at the Courier Mail in Brisbane at the time, uh, kind of backed Justin Hodges' stance and published a, the Courier Mail published a letter from Justin Hodges' mother, uh, absolutely lambasting Wayne and criticising the Broncos for what they what they'd done. And um, Wayne barred him. Wayne said, "I'm not talking to you anymore." And he, poor old Steve, had come to press conference or a training session and asked Wayne a question. <laughs> Wayne had just dead bat him. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't just ignored him. Wouldn't even. Uh, wouldn't even give him a. Wouldn't even give him a, a response. But um, a lot of the players got got behind Steve and secretly gave him information. And, and uh, but that was that was Wayne, mate. I mean, Wayne made up his mind to do something. He would very, very rarely change it. Mate, one of the big headlines coming out of this 2006 grand final is, of course, the coaches. Uh, Craig Bellamy, he'd worked under Wayne Bennett, and I believe you'd been uh, heavily involved with Craig Bellamy during his period at the Broncos. We were roomies, Craig Bellamy and I. We were, we were roommates, and uh, often, not not all, not on every away trip, but on, on a lot of away trips, we were roommates. And uh, it'd be nothing, it'd be no, of no surprise to me to uh, wake at two o'clock it will be awoken at two o'clock in the morning with the light on in the room and Craig pouring over notes for, for the next day's play. He was he just never stopped. He never ever stopped working. His his whole uh, vision uh, of his whole life was was rugby league. I don't know how he uh, how he got on at home and how often he got he got home actually, but that's what he, he just loved to do. Loved to do it. Mate, uh, it must have been an interesting relationship between the two. I mean, when, when I look at these two coaches on the outside looking in, Wayne Bennett seems to be a lot more relaxed and laid back and allowing his sides to sort of just play their natural game, uh, whereas Craig Bellamy, it's it's obviously been extremely structured over the last 15 years or so. I mean, there obviously was bits and pieces that Craig took from Wayne. Is there anything that, that stood out from you that Craig had learnt from Wayne? Uh, 
No, they're, t- they're totally different people. Absolutely, totally different people. Uh, Craig likes a good time. Uh, I don't know if he still does, but he certainly liked a good time then. He liked to drink. He liked to, to relax and, and mix with the boys. But, you know, opposite detract. And uh, I think they were, they were very, very good for each other. Um, and when Ivan Hanjack followed Craig Bellamy, he was a totally different person to Craig and a bit similar to Wayne, actually, a, a pretty quiet, reserved bloke. Uh, and, but they they did a terrific job together. He was a, he was the uh, assistant coach in 2006 when we won the competition. Ivan, he did a he did a fantastic job there. But no, obviously Craig learned a lot from from Wayne. He learned a lot from from Tim Sheens, who he'd um, who he'd uh, been under before he came to the Broncos. But he's his own man, and he, he's just highly strung, I think, and and just is the ultimate professional and. Unless his team gives him that, he just get, he gets a bit upset. Whereas Wayne can be yeah, Wayne can be tolerable. Um, he can tol- he can tol- he can be tolerable of a of a loss as long as the boys give him a hundred percent. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure that that Craig's the same. I think Craig <laughs> expects a hundred percent all the time and he expects to win all the time. That 2006 Grand Final, for me, I think this is one of Wayne Bennett's greatest achievements. It's been an unbelievable career, but I think people forget the storyline of how this season went. I mean, he moved Berrigan to hooker. He moved Hodges to fullback. He made a lot of changes, and this is only a couple of years after moving the best fullback in the game to 5'8", and now he's the best 5'8 in the game. He made a lot of big moves that really did pay dividends that season, didn't they? Yeah, and Shane, don't forget Shane Perry. Yeah. To to halfback, plucked him out of the out of the um, out of the uh, red Cliff, out of the Brisbane competition. Red Cliff. I'm pretty sure that early on in that season, it may have been uh, Brett Seymour who was the, the the halfback. I'm not quite sure, but someone whoever was there was was injured, or uh, and he moved Berrigan to yeah, that's right. He moved Berrigan to hooker. Berrigan's brother Barry had played some hooker for uh, or dummy half for the Broncos that year too. I think. But uh, I, I, the switch, the switch between Carmichael Hunt and Hodjo, I think only came right towards the end of the season, and I, I think they also swapped positions sometimes uh, during a game when uh, one would go to fullback, when Carmichael would go back to fullback. But you know, he was uh, that was a, and of course Brad Thorne. Don't forget that Brad Thorne had come back from from the All Black to play in that grand final side in two thousand and six as well. So. Yeah, it's, it was a it was a wonderful a wonderful coaching uh, effort by Wayne and, and Melbourne were hot favourites to win that grand final. The Broncos were way outsiders, but had a very powerful forward pack that year as well. And um, and uh, Tony Tony Carroll had a blinder in the grand final. I remember, but Sean Berrigan was was excellent and he scored the, the week before in the semi final against uh, against the Bulldogs. I remember. I think the Bulldogs led the Broncos by something like twenty points to to wait at half time and big Willie Mason was walking up the, the tunnel at half time with his hand in there saying, We're going to the grand final, we're going to the grand final and the boys came into the dressing room and Wayne said, Did you hear that? That's about all he said at half time. Did you hear that, bloke? And Sean Berrigan just scored an unbelievable try in that in that semi final. So uh, yeah, it was just, it was a wonderful season. Were were you in the change rooms for that uh prelim final against Canterbury? Oh, yeah, I was in the change rooms all the time when I was there before the game, but half time and after the game. So is is that literally all Wayne said to them at half time? Oh, in that he game? might have said he, he, Wayne. Wayne was Wayne's not the person to stand in front of the whole group and 
and uh, and make speeches. Uh, he's more he, he'll he'll do he'll do he'll do a general address to the players. He very rarely gets upset. Very rarely raises his voice. Uh, but he'll go around individually and talk to the players more than anything. But he certainly made a point of saying, "Did you hear that?" And everyone heard it because you don't miss Big Willie, do you? And mate, I, I'm guessing two blokes that definitely would have heard it. Your two front rowers are potentially two of the Webby. best front rowers we've ever seen. Webke, seven receiver. Uh, just what this yeah. team was built off. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know whether they heard it. They probably did, but they would have heard about it even if they didn't hear him say it. They. I don't think Shane Webke would have taken too much notice of it because he would have been out in his feet as he always is after half time and at the end of a game. But yeah, it was uh, it was uh, well, that was one of the more memorable games I think that I've been associated with the Broncos because the Bulldogs were absolutely all over the Broncos in the first half and they just turned it around magnificently and uh, it was yeah it was a terrific performance and that put them on the they put the team on the on the springboard for the for the grand final, they certainly did believe in themselves. Mate, was there one of these two grand finals that meant more to you, 2000 or 2006? Oh, 2006, because I knew then that I was finishing up. Um, I'd made my decision to, to finish up and move to the beautiful Sunshine Coast to semi-retire. And, uh, yeah, that, that was that was really, really good. And the, the worst thing about it was we, we'd... Um, because it was a night, the the 2000, uh, 2000 grand final was an afternoon grand final and we were able to fly home uh, after the game. But because of 2006, it was a night grand final and we, we weren't able to fly home. So we'd booked uh, the auditorium at the hotel at Bondi uh, where we were staying um, for the celebrations for you know fans and family and all that type of thing. And I had to MC it. I had to MC the function, interview the players and the coach and do all this stuff. So I couldn't have a beer. Well, I could have a beer, but I couldn't have too many beers. But I do remember one thing that was very interesting. After the game, as the team did a lap of honour, and our chief executive at the time, Bruno Cullen, was, was with the boys, and some bloke called him over the fence and handed him a bottle in a brown paper bag and said, mate, uh, thanks for the for the season. I've won a few dollars on you blokes, and uh, Bruno didn't think too much of it. He put it in his kit bag or something. And when uh, when we got back to the hotel, we went up to his room. There was Andrew G, Bruno, Daryl Somerville, who was our chairman, and myself went up to Bruno's room while the players were getting ready just to just to get together. And he opened this bottle. It was a bottle of um, of Grange, of Penfolds Grange. Oh, geez, what are we going to do with that? Andrew G said, "I'll tell you what we're going to do with it." He took the top off it, got four cups, four teacups out of the out of the cupboard, and we drank the bottle of Grange. Can you imagine that? Drinking Grange, probably worth about four or five hundred dollars, maybe more, out of teacups. So I did have a drink before the uh, presentations, but not too many. That must have been a pretty special moment for you, mate. What drinking Grange out of a teacup? Well, I mean, j- j- just like the <laughs> the situation surrounding that. I mean, it must have been a fantastic way for you to close your your chapter on the yeah. Brisbane Broncos, uh, and like such a, you know, uh, there there would have been the big moment of with eighty thousand people celebrating that moment, and with the players, and everything. But just to have that small little group, uh, it must have been pretty yeah. special. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. It was terrific. And then the next day, we flew back to Brisbane and. Um, it wasn't quite like it was in 1992 when the team uh, came back when the 
uh, I landed at the airport in, in, in uh, Brisbane and there was people all the way from the airport right back to the city along the side of the road honking the horns and waving to the team the team bus I was actually on the team bus with the with the players we went to the Brisbane City uh, Hall uh, King George Square and the boys came out and the mayor gave them the keys of the city and all that type of stuff and they played and then back to the field it wasn't quite as as enormous as that one but it, when we got back to the to the field on the uh, on the morning or the early afternoon after the grand final, the day after the grand final, there was people everywhere and just just an amazing reaction. The, the Broncos seriously were the major just the major event in in town almost every season uh, until probably the last ten years, I suppose. Mate, you obviously don't need any more reason to want to win a grand final, but of course, Shane Webke's final game. Um, there must have been a lot of emotion surrounding that one. Look, no, to be quite, to be quite uh, honest and candid, I don't think so. Um, you know, obviously the boys would have wanted to win it for for uh, for uh, Webby, but they want to win it for themselves too, and their own families and their teammates. Uh, so there was no, I, I can't recall any special emphasis uh, being put on uh, the fact that it was that it was Webby's last game for the for the Broncos. Um, and, and interesting, of course, he played in the two thousand the two thousand Grand Final. A uh, couple of weeks after getting his arm out of plaster, he's broken arm out of plaster. Mm. What a tough man! And yeah, no, so, he's he, I don't know which. I don't know which of those games is more important even to Webby. He, pro- he probably wouldn't know himself. Mate, was there, was there a moment in these celebrations where you had a moment to yourself where you where you realised, you know, your journey with the Brisbane Broncos is over? Was there, was there ever a point where you got a little bit emotional? <laughs> Not really. Not really. I, I just had a, I just had a, a wonderful, uh, you know, a wonderful career uh, covering sport and covering rugby league. I also covered cricket and and, and golf in my early days in, in Brisbane uh, with uh, Modern Magazines Company. Um, so it was it was just a, you know I was ready to give it away and and uh, there's a lot of pressure a lot of pressure on that job. I mean um, I, I was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and uh, had wasn't you know wasn't able wasn't I was going to say wasn't allowed to have my phone off, but my phone was never off uh, because I just had to be there in case something happened and I had to attend to it. So there was a lot of pressure on it. And uh, being the enthusiast for the game that, that, uh, that, I, that I am, I, you know, probably seven days a week for, during the season, uh, involved in the game in some way, shape or form. So it was kind of a, a bit of a relief when it all ended, but there was no, there was, I can't recall any moment when I thought, it's all over, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in the corner and cry? No, I didn't do that. Mate, but I love the company of the boys. I must say, I love the company of the boys. You are. What have you been doing with yourself since '06? Well, I moved up to the Sunshine Coast, and uh, I was lucky because I had a contact up here in the in the local uh, newspaper, Sunshine Coast Daily, who had some work for me, which I've been able to do. I kept doing the Bronco Magazine <laughs> annual that that lasted until uh, last year when uh, they stopped publishing it, or the year before when they stopped publishing it. Did some radio work up here for the local radio station. Played a lot of golf. Um, uh, was made a, a life member of the, of the Broncos actually in 2000 and where is it? 2015. They made me a life member of the Broncos, which was a wonderful, wonderful honour. I was wrapped in that. So 
I've still got an association with the club. I still write something on their website every every home game, uh, a historical piece. So, you know, I'm I'm closing down seventy rising seventy one year old closing down uh, my career, but um, still active enough to get out and enjoy stuff. Mate, one thing that I found really interesting from your career, which we haven't spoken about, is that um, you were a judge in the uh, as part of the Immortals process. Tell me, tell me about the role you played there. Well, I, I was uh, an, the editor of Rugby League Week, so I was automatically co-opted onto the onto the judging panel. Um, I think that when I was involved later on, not from, not right from the start, but later on, I think the the ones that I voted on were Graham Langlands, Arthur Beetson. Uh, Wally Lewis and Joey Johns, uh, not Mal, because it was it was given the shake up a couple of years ago, and and um, the judging panel was changed. Um, yeah, it was interesting. We we just get a vote. We voted uh, three, two, and one. Where all, all the judges were asked to vote three, two, and one from a list of candidates. It was an interesting exercise. I remember the. The year we voted, uh, or the year that uh, Andrew Johns was voted in, we had a luncheon at somewhere at Balmain, some flash restaurant at, at Balmain, and Graham Langs was there, Johnny Raper was there, um, Roy Masters was there, there was a whole heap of, Bobby Fulton was there, there was a whole heap of, of people involved in that. All the, all the immortals themselves get a vote. Um, the Rugby League Week, Editors or ex-editors, I think, at the time were getting a vote. Um, like journos like Phil Rothfield and Roy Masters and uh, Rabbits Ray Warren and uh, lots of people. I think there was about twenty odd people on the on the voting panel, and we voted three to one. We there was somebody there from oh, the government um, who would who would cover voting in the government. I forget who it was. But somebody from that department was there, and we we each person would go downstairs and cast their three, two, and one vote and give it to this guy and he put it in a box. So it was all well and truly above board. But it was a good experience. Tony, if you had to pick one player that uh, that hasn't been made an immortal at this point and potentially someone from pre-2000s, like not someone that's been recent and their time is still to come, someone that you think potentially they've missed out on the immortal status that you think has been incredibly unlucky, who would it be? Sterling. Just Sterling. You don't think he's still got an opportunity to um, to gain that status? Well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure what the what the voting procedure is these days. But you know, I think it's far too soon to talk about Billy Slater and you know, Jonathan Thurston and Cameron Smith. I mean, it's it's not a popularity contest. It's it's a, it's an immortal. It's it's a huge huge honour. And I think I think too many of the Good players from the past um, have been excluded. Brad Fittler's another one. I'd love to see him. Brad Clyde. You know, there were some magnificent footballers uh, from years gone by that were just amazing, and just they just seems seems to they seem to have been passed over, in my opinion. What about Darren Lockyer, mate? Well, I think I think Lockyer will be an immortal at some stage too. He was. You know, he played over 300 games. He played more tests than anybody else. So, you know, he's got to be considered. Um, but again, I say, you know, there's people from uh, the earlier days, and I'm glad they went back to, to Mal uh, last time and selected Mal Meninga as an immortal or Vodimin as an immortal. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, Darren Lockyer's another one. Freddie Fitt, as I said earlier, and 
And the, the great Sterlow, what, gee, when Sterlow plays last game, back in the mid-80s, yep. I think. So, you know, he deserves... And he's been a, a monument to the game. And I know that that's not one of the criteria, but it should be. You know, how they've served the game uh, since and how their behaviour has been. I mean, I couldn't imagine anyone putting their hand up and say, I saw Peter Sterling do this once. No way in the world. Mate, uh, obviously your time at Rugby League Week, one of the hallmarks of the Rugby League Week for people that, for the younger generations that, you know, haven't been exposed to this magazine, obviously was the player ratings and getting a 10 out of 10 was extremely rare and you only gave out one in, in your entire career at Rugby League Week and it was to Brad Fittler, a guy you just mentioned, I believe it was a test match. Yeah, 20 years uh, I was at Rugby League Week and, and every week in every season I had to vote uh, on teams and players uh, on that unique uh, rating system of, of uh, giving a player a, a rating out of 10. And, um, you know, there would be more consternation caused by that than any other story that I ever wrote. Blake's ringing saying, you're kidding, you gave me a six. <laughs> and I won't go into names, but there were a couple that would ring quite uh, quite often and, and debate whether they deserved a six or a seven or an eight. But yeah, the only the only 10 I ever gave was to, to Brad Fittler in a, a test match at uh, Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium. I think it would have been in the mid-90s and I think it was against Great Britain. I'm not quite sure, but... It was a commanding performance from Freddie Fittler. Believe me, he was captain of the side. I think that night, and um, yeah, he was he was brilliant. It was it was it was difficult not to uh, to re- it was difficult to refrain from giving uh, players tens. But I thought my rule of thumb was you have got to be perfect, not near perfect, but absolutely perfect to get a ten out of ten. Mate, and surely Freddie was that night. Surely there were games over that 20 years where you potentially wrote down the 10 and you maybe dropped it back down to a 9. Like, you, you must have been close on a number of occasions. Maybe I didn't write it down, but it would have been in my melon somewhere, yeah. in my grey matter, because <laughs> there were some, some outstanding performances. But, yeah, no, I, I just that was what I thought. It had to be It had to be absolutely perfect to be a 10. Mate, let's talk about the modern game. Uh, we've seen a lot of rule changes come in over the last 18 months. How have you found them? Generally, uh, generally, I'm happy. Um, I'm not happy that there's been so many. Uh, I think we've, you know, we're playing Russian roulette sometimes with uh, with the rules, and you know, just because something uh, needs fixing, I don't think we have to fix it immediately. I like the six again. Uh, I think that's good. I think it's opened the game. It's certainly made it quicker, and I think it's brought uh, the you know, the quick, uh, handy, snappy little player back into the game, which I think was being lost because it was a, 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 a tending to become a bit of a bash and barge game. But I think it should, we should have more clarity on, on why the decision back to six is given, whether we can uh, put something on the screen for the for the people to understand or when the referee calls six again, whether he can vocalise it a little louder. Wouldn't have happened with Ben Cummings on the weekend because I, I don't think anyone could hear Ben Cummings when he gave out his orders on the weekend. He'd he was in voice. some trouble, wasn't he? He was in some trouble. Um, I like the fact that um, uh, that foul play uh, has virtually gone out the back door. I noticed that one of your mates from the Roosters on the weekend blatantly threw a punch and then apparently sprayed water on a Channel 9 camera on his way off. Well, 
he deserves a bit of a holiday because that type of thing's gone. You don't, we don't do that anymore. That's not acceptable in the game. It's not acceptable in society. It's not acceptable anywhere. And uh, I think as Jai Arrow said, it, he didn't didn't feel the punch, but the intention was there. But no, I think the game's good. It's 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 uh, it's been cleaned up. It's it's quick. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I love it. I love watching the modern game. Tell me, mate, what are your opinions on the the sort of money that some of these guys are demanding now? I mean, so, some of these contracts, they are just astronomical in rugby league right now. The interesting word you used there was demanding, and I don't know whether the players are demanding them or their agents are demanding them. And I'll say here and now that I think one of the huge blights on our game are, are managers, are player managers who are just in for everything they can get out of it, not so much for the player, but... Maybe that's a story for another day. Um, look, I look at I look at players, and I don't I don't begrudge if the salary caps near ten million. There are obviously going to be players who are going to be paid a lot of money, and there will be million dollar players. But of the million dollar players that we know of at the moment, very few of them are delivering. And I I look straight away at, at Anthony Milford at the Broncos, and Ben Hunt. Um, at the Dragons he's played really really well this year but while he's been at the Dragons on a million dollars he hasn't been the Ben Hunt that he was previously um, we'll look at Ash Taylor at the Titans you know, he went down there on a million dollars from uh, another club uh, and again I'll say this the club that had, had fostered this kid had had him on their books since he was 13 or 14 years of age and plays one game for the Broncos and then all of a sudden he goes and joins another club and good luck to him. Get a million dollars. Hasn't earned it. Hasn't earned it in one season he's been there. Jason Taumalolo at the Cowboys. Michael Morgan. You know, Michael Morgan, since he signed his million dollar contract, he hasn't done much. Pay them a reasonable amount. Pay them, say, $500,000 as a as a signing, and then let them play for incentives. Give them, give them a list of incentives. Okay, if we do this this year, you get this much. If we do that, we make the finals. If we make the semi, if we, you know, it's just ridiculous that these players can sit back in their lounge chair after they've signed their million dollars, and I won't say put in, but certainly in those cases that I've mentioned, not play to the potential that they showed before they signed their million-dollar contracts. That's my. That's the biggest beef I have about the game at the moment. Mate, if you, if you had to be one player in the modern game that you'd love to watch the most, who would it be? I love Ryan Pappenhausen. He's an excitement machine. He's a special... He's an excitement machine, Pappenhausen. He's wonderful. Um, again, big David Fafita, uh, who's at the Titans now. Wow, he's, he's good to watch. I love Luke Keary and... That's horrible news about about Luke Keary. Trill Mitchell is very exciting. I, I just hope Latrell Mitchell gonna say he should lose to he looks like he's a bit overweight. Maybe it's his comfortable playing weight that he but he doesn't to me look like he's as fit as he probably could be. And I just can't imagine how good he's he's gonna be if he does get to his uh to his elite fit fitness level. And um and, and James Tedesco is just so exciting to watch. Oh, there's some there's some tremendous plays in our game at the moment. And as I said, I just love watching the game. I, I still watch every game of the weekend, much to the uh, much to the displeasure of my wife. <laughs> I'm hearing you. Don't worry. I'm hearing you. <laughs> yeah, but you're young. Mate, I'm old. I should be, I should be over <laughs> it by now, but I'm not. 
Mate, can I ask you this? Obviously, uh, your Brisbane Broncos um, hasn't been a fantastic two years for them. We saw they get we saw them get their first win uh, on the weekend against Canterbury, uh, another team that has been struggling. If you could, if you had a blank check and you could bring any other player from any other team into this Broncos team right now, what what sort of guys would you be targeting? Would have been Luke Keary until the weekend. Is it an experienced ball player that you'd be looking for? Yeah, probably. I was going to say Adam Reynolds. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I heard a whisper the other day, or someone sprouted this idea the other day, that Wayne Bennett's coming back to the Broncos and he's going to bring Adam Reynolds with him. That's why uh, they're balking on uh, on signing for any longer than 12 months. But that's uh, that, to me, would be pie in the sky, I would think. But that's what the Broncos... The Broncos need uh, a couple of hard heads uh, up front, some solid... Uh, players who uh, who've got experience, and once the you know once they get behind in the game, just they settle down, boys. You know, Rome wasn't built in the day. We don't have to score off every single move. But they need a couple of those hot heads. But having said that, they've got a very talented footy team. Um, Payne Hashback, Payne Hashback this week. The Tony Stags back in a few weeks' time, or maybe a month or so's time. If they can hang in there and, and grab a couple of wins against the odds in the next few weeks I think they'll I think they'll uh, make some teams stand up towards the end of the year and take notice Tony mate it's been an absolute pleasure having you on it's uh, it's been a long long innings for us uh, us Durkins we certainly can talk can't we we can but that's what we're made for we're made to talk oh don't I know it mate it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um, congratulations on everything you've achieved all your experiences it's been fantastic for me to be able to share this especially with the younger generations I think a lot of these stories that you're able to tell, they're just, they're, they're kind of lost to the younger generation. So I'm so happy that I was able to share it with, with everyone today. Well, I hope, I, hope, uh, I hope they enjoyed it and I hope they learned something and it's been a pleasure, mate, and good luck with your podcast. Cheers, Tony. We'll see you soon, mate.